Hi, this is Peter Schwartz, public address announcer for the Cosmos, and you're listening to the First Team Podcast. I'm joined by David Kilpatrick. How's it going, David? Very well. How are you doing, John? I would like to thank you for joining me on this episode to talk about Major League Soccer and um, just the craziness of U.S. soccer as well. So we're just going to talk about an article on fieldofschemes.com. The article was titled, If MLS Isn't a Ponzi Scheme, Maybe It's the WeWork of Sports. And... um, the one thing that shocks me every single year about Major League Soccer is the valuations. So um, I'm going to go through a couple of clubs right here. You have uh, NYCFC valued at $385 million, and Atlanta United is valued at the top of the list at $500 million, and they've only been in the league for a couple of years. Indeed. It's uh, in many ways uh, quite startling given the uh, estimated losses of around $100 million mm-hmm. annually. But uh, Atlanta United, in some ways, I guess uh, you could say broke the mold in terms of Major League Soccer's more recent focus on soccer-specific stadia. Mm-hmm. There's that beautiful new uh, you know, domed stadium that can open up uh, that the Falcons play in and the yeah. Shared ownership has been great for for people down in Atlanta, and uh, although the the Silverbacks had a loyal fan base, they didn't have anywhere near that kind of profile, and uh, so yeah, Atlanta United, uh, uh, rather unsurprisingly, is up there at the top of the valuations at, at five hundred, and even more shocking, I think, are the reported two hundred million dollar expansion fees that mm-hmm. they've pulled in for St. Louis and Sacramento. But where do they get these valuations, right? Because Major League Soccer, they're a single entity, right? So all all of the player salaries are paid through the league office. So how is NYCFC? Yeah, they're playing in uh, one of the biggest cities and maybe one of the biggest markets. How are they valued at that uh, price of $385 million when they don't have their own stadium? Yeah, they're part owned by the New York Yankees and they play at Yankee Stadium, but... How is the team like that that hasn't won a championship that plays in a closed system? How are they valued at close to four hundred million dollars? Well, I think you know when you when you talk about four hundred million dollars, first of all, the Chicago Fire have essentially been bought for the equivalent of four hundred million in terms of the the final takeover that was there. So in many ways, that raises that value. Mm-hmm. In terms of just that's what somebody's paid, just like in terms okay. of. Mm-hmm. Uh, housing market, if all of a sudden somebody's paying a million dollars for a mm-hmm. two-bedroom co-op in your neighborhood, then the price of every co-op goes up in the neighborhood. 
Um, and there's a very limited number of, of spots for these billionaires who may aspire to the, you know, quote unquote, uh, elite upper echelons of major league sport franchise ownership. And so uh, given the scarcity of franchises in the American system, uh, major league soccer um, might just be a really desirable uh, alternative for those who can't break into the more major, major leagues. But again, in, in terms of comparison, right, if, if Atlanta United is valued at $500 million, uh, again, these are the Forbes valuations. So the, the Field of Schemes article uh, by uh, Neil DeMouse is, is really based on the, the figures that you find in Chris Smith's article for Forbes. And uh, the, the $500 million valuation for Atlanta United, you have to kind of think about that in relation to other entities. And, and the, the, just by way of contrast, the, the highest valuation in Forbes of any sport entity is the Dallas Cowboys, who are estimated at $5 billion. Mm -hmm. So $500 million versus $5 billion, there's still a really big gap between the United States' most valuable soccer entity and United States sports most valuable entity. And again, Real Madrid is valued at $4.2 billion. So again, yeah. $500 million is in some ways kind of small potatoes in contrast to that, but um, it, is, it is bigger than or more higher valued than I think it's four of the NHL franchises. So it's, it is big money, not to, to say the least, but it's very much fueled by the exclusivity provided by franchise scarcity. And uh, talking about those very few spots that remain in Major League Soccer expansion, um, what do you think is going to happen when maybe one day they close off those expansion slots, right? Don Garber, he always talks it up like maybe we have a couple more spots available, so maybe he just plays it up so they get uh, more money in expansion fees. Well, again, I, I would think in terms of Don Garber, who I think, anybody would have to say he's done a remarkable job for major league soccer. He, mm -hmm. he when he took on the commissionership and left NFL Europe, uh, people thought he was crazy to get involved in soccer. Um, but in many ways with soccer United marketing, he, he rescued the league, but more particularly he's preserved that league model of the single entity mm -hmm. and where critics are accusing major league soccer of being a Ponzi scheme. It's in this notion of that as there are more and more franchises um, and there's all these losses, annual losses of over $100 million, um, the only way that these uh, operations are staying afloat is by taking in more expansion fees. But every time you let someone in, then that, that big kitty gets diluted. It's just simple math. Um, and that's what makes it look like a Ponzi scheme, is if the whole thing is being included just by taking new people in. Um, and that's got to reach a, a bust. You're right. it, it, so if we've reached 30, uh, 30 franchises, can they go to 32? Mm -hmm. At what point do you have to then um, let people continue allowing uh, entities in? And then does that force you necessarily into a promotion relegation system? Or does it just kind of cap out? My guess is, is that that's not going to be Garber's mess to fix. Major League Soccer as a single entity, say if uh, FIFA comes to U.S. Soccer and says, before you host the World Cup, you need to uh, implement promotion relegation, which we hope that would happen, right, David? Um, but we're not too sure. But Major League Soccer, I don't think they could be so quick to implement that since they're in a single entity structure. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. if, if you 
if you look at the sporting integrity statute of FIFA, it makes it abundantly clear that uh, you know rising to the the top flight of any domestic competition mm-hmm. needs to be based primarily on sporting merit. You know what a team achieves on on the pitch, and and furthermore, it, it talks about the the idea that you can't alter your um, your corporate status to adjust to the higher division. Um, so those are pretty obvious um, violations. You know, Pittsburgh had the best uh, record for the USL, but um, the Riverhounds aren't going to be playing in the ostensible first division next year. Instead, Sacramento will. And I forget how many teams finished ahead of them. Did they finish 15th or 16th overall in total points in USL? I, 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 I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, it's not a, a, a system that's based on sporting integrity, but uh, policing of that is supposed to fall to the uh, the national governing body. And in the case of a league like this that uh, crosses over borders and in, into both the United States and Canada, then it's supposed to rest with CONCACAF. But um, clearly there's not the will within CONCACAF to set things right. And there's not uh, right now the 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 will from FIFA to really push the issue more than they have. And Infantino and, and before him, Blatter did make some, some gestures in that direction of wanting a system that was more open. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think by and large, uh, whether it's the domestic audience or the global audience, major league soccer is kind of counting on people not understanding the business model of single entity. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing for me because you do have, maybe some major league soccer fans that do support uh, the Premier League, right, foreign leagues, and they do understand how things work, but they still go to uh, closed soccer. Well, and, and I think it gets back to your, your earlier question about, say, the valuation of NYCFC. Mm-hmm. I would imagine from the perspective of City Football Group um, that they would be all for opening up the system. I think that would be in their, their best advantage, um, just as they've, uh, achieved great things in Manchester. I don't see why they couldn't achieve similarly great things here if they were kind of unshackled uh, from the system they find themselves in. And maybe ultimately entities like NYCFC, who have more global ambitions, will be the ones who will be the change agents from within. Um, it may just be that the owners themselves want to be liberated from that structure that preserves parity. Um, at the expense of uh, talent and interest, of course. And that's one thing I think that came out uh, really interestingly from another article um, that just came out last Friday from Paul Tenorio and Pablo Mar on The Athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing you've seen that one about the Boston Consulting Group's uh, report for Major League Soccer. Is is again, another quite revelatory piece in terms of the decisions that are happening within Major League Soccer and and the way in which they're doing market analysis and, you know, trying to, to remedy the fact that the attendance keeps dropping. But do you think uh, City Football Group, do you think they look at uh, NYCFC and their other investments um, across the world besides Manchester City? Do you think they see that as a feeder club, as scouting potential talent and just growing the the Manchester City brand rather than, um, trying to create another big club across the world? I, my guess is that the City Football Group sees this as a great long-term opportunity that in the short term is restricted. 
but the opportunity to get that foothold in the world's most global city was surely an opportunity they couldn't pass up. Um, whether they would want to retain exclusive first division status mm -hmm. and preserve the status quo as they do so, it seems to me like that's actually counter to their global interests. Um, but, you know, now they're in. Now, now they're in and others are out. And that kind of rather rigid in or out that comes with the single entity and buying into it with operator investor status um, my, my guess is also the city football group maybe didn't even necessarily understand, uh, the way in which, you know, single entity operated. But, uh, I think from an objective, objective standpoint within that limited system, they, they did play really good football, uh, on MLS terms, uh, this year and probably were unfortunate not to host the final yesterday. And we can't, um, pass the opportunity to talk about, since there's no promotion relegation and there's no chance uh, for lower division clubs to participate at the highest level by um, the action on the field, besides how much money you have in the bank, a lot of clubs have gone out of business because they couldn't reach the highest levels. Yeah, it was six years ago yesterday that uh, we were uh, celebrating on the pitch down in Atlanta. Um, the Cosmos return, the, the sixth league title in the club's history, uh, that magical reboot year of, of 2013. Um, so when you, you know, kind of jump forward, you know, five years later to the uh, crowd that, that Atlanta um, had for the MLS Cup. Um, and of course, you know, that the amnesia that comes with the celebrations of Major League Soccer supposedly having made it with yeah. the, the great crowd there. Um, it still didn't uh, didn't exceed the crowd that we had here in Cosmos Country for the 1978 championship. So from 1978 to 2018, are we really any further along or are we just back to where we came from? And then it's a matter of what the business model allows. Um, again, looking to that Boston Consulting Group uh, expose for the athletic that, that Tenorio and Maurer showed there. You know, the, the market analysis says pretty clearly there that astute soccer fans understand the relative lack of quality. And rather than taking action to, to address that need, uh, they've, they've taken the other route and preserved financial uh, and competitive parity at the expense of the players, of course. So how that collective bargaining uh, agreement is going to play out in the new year is a, going to be a very interesting story for us all to watch. Don't you think that's the problem with uh, just U.S. soccer in general, that in Atlanta, they had a soccer team in the Atlanta Silverbacks, and um, they didn't care for it. They didn't support it because it wasn't this big thing. They didn't have a lot of money. They were in the top division, but they get a MLS club, Atlanta United, and they all flock to the stadium because it's this new, shiny thing. Well, again, it's that major league, minor league rhetoric that informs so much of the media coverage to the great detriment of any aspirational entities um it's mm -hmm. not as easy as uh, the afl trying to fight against the nfl or the aba trying to yeah. uh integrate with the the nba or even the uh uh you know what we saw with the hockey merger as well right it's it's not so easy to to compete with the big boys when you've got a governing body that can sanction leagues at certain levels so 
no doubt, uh, having the rug pulled out from underneath us when the North American Soccer League wanted to uh, pursue sanctioning at the first division level and then maybe open things up for promotion or relegation. Instead, we have second division status revoked and we're left with the crisis that we're in now where, as Cosmos fans, we're wondering if we'll have a team competing on the pitch in 2020. It remains to be seen. It's pretty frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. And um, on the outside in. A lot of fans on social media, they think promotion relegation is going to fix you a soccer. And I'm for ProRel, and I think you are as well. But by just talking about fans in Atlanta not supporting the Silverbacks, say we had ProRel and they would have got promoted. You know what I mean? Like, will fans support well, lower division clubs? Phase, and I, I, have, I have a lot of yeah. friends from Atlanta. Sorry to, to mm-hmm. step on your, your words there, John. So I, I've got a, a yeah. lot of. Uh, friends in Atlanta. My, my best friend has a home there, and he was there celebrating with me on the pitch yeah. uh, that night six years and a, and a day ago. Um, it may be easy to point fingers at Atlanta fans and say, yeah. oh, if you're such great soccer fans, where were you for the <laughs> Silverbacks? Um, they had a good thing going there. Um, they had an amazing manager in Eric Winalda. They had uh, um, a really passionate fan base. But you can't blame ordinary sports fans for not paying attention if their local media tells them they don't need to. Mm -hmm. And that's really the hegemony that Major League Soccer has bought um, through the first division sanctioning that U.S. soccer grants unto it exclusively. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I I think the professional league standards are, are very much to blame here. Rather than licensing clubs, U.S. soccer licenses leagues and i think that's a wrong way of looking at it and a wrong way of going about things and my guess is is that several of the uh, operator investors in the single entity probably agree but um how far are we are away from the kind of positive change that would really open things up in a country such as ours there are just too many markets that are going to necessarily be left out so long as soccer tries to play the franchise scarcity game that the other major leagues play um you know i i Grew up in in New York and Memphis, Tennessee, and seeing teams uh, come into existence and then quickly pass away uh, in Memphis in the 1970s taught me some really severe lessons in the fragility of sport franchises. And of course, being a Cosmos fan uh, throughout all my life, uh, we've we've in many ways suffered karmic retribution for the glory days of the 70s and 80s, one could say. Um, But I think Cosmos fans are now probably the most knowledgeable in North American soccer, at least, in terms of um, how governance operates, what constitutes good governance, what what, uh, kind of legal factors are affecting their club. We've all become experts in sport law, haven't we, John, over the past few years? So talking about the Cosmos, over the past couple of years, there have been so many ups and downs. Uh, do you see a brighter future, hopefully, in 2020 and beyond? I, I'm, I'm not. The future, the short term future is so unclear for me. Mm-hmm. Um, never say never, I guess. Again, going back to 2013, uh, I had had so many dreams for so many years or the recurring dream of having to get to the stadium to yeah. in some really wild dreams to play for the Cosmos and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, sedate dreams, you might say, at least to go see the Cosmos play. That was a recurring dream for me since the 80s, uh, that that rush of having to get to the stadium for the Cosmos. Mm -hmm. And so actually seeing the Cosmos return to the field in 2013 
now I, I, I really believe all the more in the power of our dreams and, and, uh, having faith that, that, uh, we can once again, rise to the, to the levels that we had reached before and become the preeminent, uh, team here in the United States and really be one of global soccer's powers. I, I really still do hope in my lifetime that, uh, we'll see the Cosmos win the FIFA Club World Cup. That really is my dream. Wow. And it hasn't wavered. Um, but uh, we're a long ways away from that now. We're much further away than we were six years ago, that's for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the system is one that is, is uh, kind of rigged for the short term without, you know, at the expense of, of the long term. So um, what changes will have to, to happen to make that happen. Um, I, I, I don't know about the short term. So in terms of 2020, I understand the cosmos have applied for NISA. Yeah. Um, but it seems very, uh, unclear whether it's it, it, the, the league itself has to accept each club. And then it seems like the United States soccer itself has to, um, allow each club as well. So that's a kind of a, two-step process that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get my hopes up for that short term, but I'm also not going to let down my long-term dreams either. But do you think, uh, division three is a good level given the situation with the New York Cosmos? Well, I think there's one school of thought is, is that, you know, playing at any level is better than not playing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're the New York Cosmos and I'm not entirely sure if that's True or not. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm very ambivalent about that in terms of uh, I don't see the cosmos as uh, settling for anything but the top. Um, and and that's exactly what the current structure is kind of asking a lot of um, entities that want to compete to at least settle. You know, some some markets may be out there as franchise bait for others in the future. Again, um, and, you know, my wife is from Pittsburgh, so I'm rather sympathetic to the river hounds and uh you know to what degree can they ever aspire to major league soccer you know they they had the best team in the regular season in the usl but um they're not on the list of people considering coughing up between 200 and 300 million uh, for an expansion fee that's just not realistic for them and uh don't see that as being a prospect so you know to what degree are are people going to sustain interest in something that's seen as necessarily minor to the otherwise uh, uh, designated major league, that's a, that's a tough sell. That's a really tough sell in a really overly competitive sport market. Fans in, in the United States come out for the best. That's why mega events do so well here. Yeah. Uh, but when things are perceived as second or third tier, look, we're New Yorkers, John. People yeah. want the best. That's what they want. And when the Cosmos... We're in our glory days. We had the very best players in the world on our side, and that's that's where we need to get. So, if in the short term settling for uh, whatever div- divisional sanctioning allows us to get back to that, then I guess I'm all for it. But uh, well, we'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think um, in the current situation, we can't be too picky at the moment. Really, it's either probably a hiatus and wait for the lawsuit to be sorted out, or play Division Three soccer, at least it's professional soccer instead of semi-pro or amateur soccer in the MPSL? Well, I'm just so grateful that, mm-hmm. that you know, ownership of Rocco Camiso is is uh, determined to uh, 
do what's right for for the long term, not yeah. just for the cosmos, but for United States soccer. And uh, is you know willing to take on this battle in whatever means necessary to to try to achieve what's right and is simply uh, more aligned with uh, FIFA's own statutes on sporting integrity. That's what makes the game great. You know, is the you know it's we call it soccer. It's it, it's short for association football, um, but you can't really be in a proper association in a closed league system that one would have to buy into. That's not the nature of the association game. So for soccer to be truly soccer, um, we need, we need an open system, uh, rooted in, in sporting integrity with, with league standards or club standards, uh, you know, sanctioning licensure that, that ensures, you know, the ability to, to have a proper facility, have, you know, proper, uh, infrastructure, those types of things, of course, need to, to, to come with uh, club sanctioning rather than league sanctioning. But this idea of, of leagues competing against each other, um, it, that's not the way things should be. It's just not. And unfortunately, right now, we're, we're a bit leagueless at the, at the present moment. So yeah, it's very we'll sad, see right? how it resolves itself. But mm-hmm. again, I'm just, like I said, I'm grateful that, uh, uh, that the current ownership is uh, still willing to to pursue being the, the positive change agent that we are. Yeah, it always seems that the Cosmos are trying to uh, create change, and then you have uh, other fans of uh, different clubs throughout U.S. soccer uh, just hating on the club, hating on the brand, and hating what we're doing. But we're trying to change the U.S. soccer pyramid. I hate to play the victim card in this, but uh, yeah. it, it certainly feels sometimes like we're uh, in a sacrificial role right now, but uh, with the hope that the... Uh, ultimately, the good of the game will will prevail. And hopefully, once that does happen, I hope uh, the Cosmos and Cosmos management and Rocco, they do get the uh, applause that they deserve. Well, I think uh, one thing that the the reboot proved is that the the Cosmos legacy lives on, and uh, certainly in terms of global renown, uh, when when people outside of the United States think of United States soccer, the first thing they think of is still the New York Cosmos. Did you see on Twitter, Peter Schwartz, he posted uh, a picture of Pelé has a store in Times Square. I just didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, I haven't been there yet. I was uh, mm-hmm. wanted to find a way to go yesterday, just uh, didn't get a chance yet. But um, I'm very excited for that. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to see our number 10 uh, kind of extend his footprint right into uh, Times Square. It's very cool. Well, again, I, I think uh, the idea that the cosmos, there's a need for the cosmos to return and uh, an appreciation for who the world's greatest footballer ever was and, and his links to the world's greatest city. Um, that's a, a legacy that I think uh, it, it's hard to deny. So it's hard for someone not to see the value in. Mm-hmm. So while we're not showing up on these Forbes valuations, I, I still think the cosmos are a great investment. Going back to those Forbes uh, valuations for one more second here, um, we should definitely compare uh, Atlanta United to uh, AC Milan of Serie A. You'd be very shocked here, but Atlanta United, they're valued at $500 million, like we talked about earlier, and AC Milan in an open market, in an open uh, system in, in Italy, they're valued at $583 million, according to Forbes. Well, and of course, Rocco uh, Camiso almost bought Milan. I, I yeah. don't remember the exact specifics in terms of why um, that deal kind of fell through, but I think that's been well documented that that he was very interested in investing in uh, 
in Milan. And uh, now, as you can see what's happening with Fiorentina, uh, it's a really, really exciting uh, time to be there. And uh, a lot of his enthusiasm that he brought to the Cosmos is now being enjoyed in, in that great city there. I'm jealous. Yeah. A lot of fans are upset about that, but I sort of see it as we don't have an open system here yet. And he is Italian, of course, right? And he wants to um, bring that success and that excitement there. And hopefully one day we will have ProRel, and hopefully Rocco still owns the team, and he can provide that excitement to the Cosmos. Well, I think we can only benefit from all seeing how ownership can invest in, in a in an entity that has a great legacy and how they can uh, perhaps thrive in a, in a more open system. I think that would be yeah. a positive example for all of us here. Yeah, when Rocco first bought the team, I think a lot of people were like, who's Rocco? What is he going to do to the Cosmos? But now you can fully see what he, he did to the Cosmos and now what he's doing to Fiorentina. So uh, I guess his actions speak for itself. That's right. I think uh, Rocco's, uh, Rocco's known for... for uh, his powerful words, but uh, he is uh, a man of action first and foremost, and his success is something that can't be denied. He's uh, he's he's achieved his billions uh, for for good reason. Yeah. So, David, do you think we will see uh, promotion and relegation in the near future? Not in the near future, no. But uh, the mid to to long term, I think absolutely. I think the. The powers that be that, that have their influence right now um, by retaining the hegemony of Major League Soccer and Soccer United marketing, um, I, 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 it's obviously in their interest to preserve yeah. um, their hegemony. And, uh, you know, nobody's going to just share out of a sense of altruism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so it, 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 it takes a, an, infor- an informed fan base slash consumer base. Um, just as it takes an informed citizenry, um, I think the you know the the Twitter wars you know that still rage on about this. Um, what what we're seeing over time is a more and more informed fan base, um, and you see uh, people who uh, rather naively support their local team uh, when they really start to understand the financial underpinnings um, that compromise the the growth of the the game domestically here. Uh, start to really question the structures that are in place. And um, again, as, as media are encouraged to uh, uh, write more insightful exposés of, of that structure, um, I think we, we continue to move in a more informed and positive direction. So you think it's just a matter of uh, educating more people on ProRel, or it's just to hopefully hope for the best with the lawsuit? Or Well, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. A really famous New Yorker said that one a while back, and mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I I imagine a better future for U.S. soccer. Absolutely, um, I I really do believe that uh, as we move forward, we'll we'll reach uh, a more ideal uh, situation. I really believe that that that's the way things have to move. Um, I suppose that, that that blind hope is what keeps me going. Yeah, and and I was trying to talk about earlier that um. Say we have promotion and relegation, we would hope that American fans would support their local club regardless of if they are um, in Division Two, Division Three, or in the amateur or semi-pro ranks, right? Because that's the beauty of promotion and relegation. So your local town and your local city 
they can uh, play at the highest level. Um, so you have a lot of fans on social media hoping for that, right? They love that and they want to see that. But do you think that will be a success since we're talking about the uh, normal American fan? You really need to start thinking about how North American sport is going to have to change. The NCAA is going to be forced to make some big changes now that uh, um, legislation is is moving them in the direction of compensating athletes in Division One revenue-generating programs. Mm-hmm. That is going to change the landscape in ways that people can't imagine right now. Um, so, you know, maybe the answer really is... is, is um, connected in some ways to that and also loosening the stranglehold that franchise scarcity has on taxpayers in so many different markets where um, one one city is played off against another to give ever more sweetheart deals uh, for stadia or arena for teams that are all too uh, easily tempted away to other markets that are going to pay more um, until franchise scarcity breaks. And there's only way for that to break one way for that to break. And that's to open things up. Um, but, you know, if the NCAA has to move to a system where Notre Dame has to pay its players, could you imagine a scenario in which in, in, in Notre Dame's football team is playing the Green Bay Packers in a, in a promotion battle or a relegation battle? Or the, maybe the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing Penn State or uh, uh, maybe the, the Florida Gators are, are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, for the right to, to get promoted to the top division. If, if places like Syracuse and Kansas can, can have such massive attendance for their basketball games, surely a place like uh, Syracuse could get an NBA team back. Uh, of course, they lost theirs to Philadelphia many, many decades ago. My father was a Syracuse Nats fan. who used to go see them play in Utica all the time, but, uh, the idea of, of Syracuse being an NBA city is something most people have forgotten about, and, and it's certainly not a future anybody imagines. But um, if, if sport models change here in the country, then we need to be open for change. Just because things are the way they are now doesn't mean that's the way they're always going to be. And that's the real lesson of sport history, when you see how things change so much through time. So the, the one constant is change, and um, what what shape they'll they'll take it's anybody's guess but i would like to think that promotion and relegation not just in soccer but in the other sports in north america may uh, you know kind of emancipate sport from the stranglehold the billionaires have on it right now david when you put it like that um i think we have a bright future i hope so i uh, let's keep the faith thanks david for joining the show thanks so much john great talking to you as always yeah, just want to give a shout out to the five points. The Borough Boys, the Benedict Cosmos, and the Cross Island yeah. crew. Uh, yeah, it's New York, straight and white. What we believe you see in fight, indeed, it seems to be achieving. See, we do and did it right. Cosmo Country loving, we above them. I'm just saying, all those lovely somethings come and see it in our playing. The fact of it is, the rap from Tate attacks, hash and bliss. Reacts, tap, and we win. So fast, racking them in. Whether it's tag the wing, on the backs of the through the mid, cutting the seams. It seems we see anything to be. We got a ball and a dream. Got a ball and a dream. We do. I'm new, it's true. Fact, Crew down for you, no doubt they do. Surrounding you with bad reviews, like shouting cues aloud to you without the dudes. Around my crews, I'll check that's no excuse. Each session, 
lesson, it's not about perfection. The work's the test, and F's connected like a method. Not breathless at the training, something's gotta be corrected. Rushing and acceleration at the start's the most suggested. Infected with greatness, potential is spacious. Out the world, just face it, the work becomes contagious. Some may say we made it, but now we've just begun. Sorry if you hate it, because I can tell you that I'm far from done.